0: This morning we arrive at the second commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. I encourage you to open your copy of God's Word there. The short version of that commandment is, first commandment, no other gods. Second commandment, make no idols. So the short version is make no idols. But this is a command that is... So misunderstood and so important and near to the heart of God that he gives in an, us an extended uh, description of this. Make no idols. Let me read it for you. Verse 4, Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. So there's the summary. Make no idols. Or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in earth beneath, or that's in water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I mean, just think of the description here. You break this commandment. You hate me. And you hate me at such a level. I carry it to four generations. This is a serious command. And yet we can start it and people say, make no idol. I don't do that. That's no big deal. God said, this is a huge deal. And I'm jealous that we get it right. He says, you don't get it right, I don't forget this, to three, four generations, but showing, then he goes the other way, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So you get it right. He puts you in the category, you're the ones who love me. You get this one wrong, you hate me. You get it right. You love me. So very, very serious command. I want us to spend the time we need to get it right. uh, Because this is no trivial thing to God at all. He gives us the long form here. Instead of the short form. First commandment was the object of worship. No other gods. God is the focus. The fullness. The vision of what we do. We wake to worship him. He's the object of our praise and adoration. Second commandment, the manner of our worship. So we move from the object to the way we worship. We worship by not making idols by not creating an image of anything at all, nothing in heaven, nothing in earth, nothing under the earth, nothing in the ocean. He says, let's make it clear. I don't want an image of anything, anywhere, anytime, where you're using it to represent me. That's not what loves me. That's not what pleases me. God is saying, that's not my love language. It's my hate language when you seek to represent me. Basically, the more I think about this, God wants to be in charge of his revelation of himself to us. Right? And he doesn't want you or me tweaking it. He doesn't want us messing with it. He is the one alone who can reveal himself to us And we constantly want to do something with that. And God said, not my love language. I don't like it when you do that. Let's suppose one of you came up with the wonderful idea to throw me a birthday party, okay? And you've come up with this glorious plan of what you want to do. And you thought, yeah, we probably ought to pass it by his wife. We ought to pass it by Patty. See what she thinks about this birthday party, and so you tell her all the things that you want to do for my birthday party, and you say, now, we, we especially want it to be a surprise birthday party, and Patty says, stop right there, she's lived with me long enough to say, stop right there, all of those things you want to do, David would appreciate, he would love you for it, it would mean so much to him, but the surprise part of that, mm, you better nix that, Mm-mm. David hates surprises. That is not his love language. Don't do a surprise party. David likes to plan. David likes to strategize. If you create a surprise, you are interrupting his daily plan, his strategy. You decide you're not going to go with that council and you still have the party the way you wanted to have it. I get in the party and you notice everybody's having fun but me, right? Right? You look over and say, David, what's wrong? You didn't know what I had planned today. Goodness. How am I going to get it done now? You've interrupted my plan with this surprise party. And so I'm sitting there frustrated, trying until I can strategically figure out how to get everything done with the party included. And you don't get that because it's not your love language. It's my love language. And the only reason we're there is because you didn't listen to the directions of my wife. And many times I think we don't see these are God's directions of how to love him. And the only reason we get in this category of frustrating him and hating him and infuriating him is because we're not listening to the directions. He stops on this one and makes it abundantly clear that it does not please him if we make images of any kind of him. That's what it means to, means to make an idol, to make something in as a substitute, as a replacement for God. And then sometimes we go even further and we worship it, and so that's the most glorious thing we've ever seen or done. And God says, not my love language. And I want you to get that. So I've put together nine reasons why images, and this is just the first part. I don't know what the second or third part of this command series will be, but... This morning, I just I want us to see nine reasons why images don't love God. And the reason is because images are everywhere of God in our land. And I'm not going to take the time to spell that out. You know they're everywhere. Nine reasons why they're wrong. Nine reasons why they don't love God. First one, images distort truth about God. Here's the essence of what's happening. Look at Romans chapter 1. Verse 25. Romans 1, verse 25. God says, Because they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, notice the creature Creator distinction. The creator is blessed forever. He's unchangeable. You don't mess with the creator. And what these sinners were doing in Romans 1 is they're taking the created substance that we have, creatures, created substance, and worshiping that, elevating that, exalting that, exchanging that for the creator. And when you make an image of God you're taking something that you've created you're taking created substance and you're exchanging it for the creator and God says no that is a distortion of the truth how did God make things Hebrews 11 I won't take time says he made things out of nothing that's visible no created substance Literally, God made the world out of nothing. He just spoke it into existence. How do you and I create things? Well, we need something. We create out of substance. We take substance and we rearrange it. So you're taking a created substance, making an image of God who is invisible out of... How, how, can, how can you do that? God who is not of created substance. How can you image him through created substance? You see, it's just a distortion of reality. It's a distortion of the truth. You're exchanging something that's far superior to, with something that's far inferior, and you think that's okay. Here's, here's where I think the rubber meets, meets the road. How many of you would appreciate Somebody taking a really sloppy, ugly photo of you and posting it online. How many want, want somebody to do that today? See, none of us. Why would we think God would be... I, I, it's not our love language. If you're going to post something, post something that's beautiful and glorious, right? Why would God be pleased if we post a sloppy view of God? a distorted view of God. He wouldn't. He's not. He says, don't even go there. Don't try to go there because you are trying to create in some created form what you can't do. It's impossible. It's always going to be a distortion. And I hate the distortion. Number two, true images of God are impossible. You've already maybe got a hint of this. Look at John chapter 4 Verse 24, description of God somewhat. John 4, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. All right, so there's the description. God is spirit. How do you image that? How do you take the invisible spirit of God and make it visible? It's impossible. Because as soon as you make it visible, it's not invisible anymore. It's not truly an image of who God is. It's an impossible task to make the invisible God visible, which is exactly where God's getting Uh, this second commandment from... Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. He makes it clear to the first generation here, second generation. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 15 and 16. Notice again, there's just warning language. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully... And this needs to be underlined to get the second commandment right. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. And then down in verse 25. And when your father, children, and children's children... Have and have grown old and in the land. If you act corruptly, by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke Him to anger, see, it'd be right for God to be angry because you're doing something that is impossible to do. God says you did not see a form, you did not see a figure. You have never seen any representation of me that you could image. It's impossible for you to do so because to do so, see, changes the the very nature of God. You're trying to change God's essence. His essence is he is the invisible God. And you're trying to make him the visible God. Changing his essence completely, obscuring the message of who he is. He says, watch yourself carefully here. This is big because my job as God is to reveal myself to you accurately. And it's a shame at the number of people who want to mess with that. So second commandment, make no idols. It is impossible to downsize God who is supersized. And that's what we always do when you seek to create an image of the true God. Number three, our images always obscure God's glory. Now, if I were to say, could you image the Trinity? Some of you say, no, 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 you can't image the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We haven't seen that. We don't know what that looks like. We know it's three persons, one God, one essence. We don't know how to image that. Many people have tried. There's all sorts of diagrams and stuff out there. But most people give up and say, we can't do that. But what we can do is we could image the second person of the Trinity, Christ, because he came in human form. And we think somehow, okay, that makes it okay. Let's, let's just image Christ. Well, I want us to think about that. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Love this verse. John 1, verse 14. I want us to think about what the disciples saw. And it tells us, when they first saw Christ, what they saw. John 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh. So this is Jesus who was in the beginning with God the Father who created everything. Everything came into being through Him. And then this Word, verse 14, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen Glory. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son, or only begotten son from the Father, full of grace and truth. They didn't say, Jesus stepped on the earth, and we saw six, two, handsome, 180 pounds, dark, complex, and blue. They didn't say that. Christ stepped on the earth, and we saw glory. Glory like God glory. Like the only begotten of God glory. They didn't see humanity. They saw God man. Divinity and adding to itself humanity. Show you another place. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7. Here's a great passage on the humility of Christ. And what I want you to see is Christ humbled himself by adding, by addition, not by subtraction, by adding to himself humanity. Philippians 2, verse 6 who though he was in the form of God. See, that was his form, which is invisible, we've already seen, and we don't know what that looks like. But he's in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's adding to himself, being born in the likeness of men. So here you have God taking to himself humanity, choosing to dwell in humanity for a time, becoming the God-man. Oh, and the passage Jonathan used this morning, I wasn't going to use, it, but it's so strong. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Um, and I appreciate John, Jonathan bringing this out. Hebrews chapter 1 Uh, verse 3, He is, so He's spoken to us now in the Son, verse 2, verse 3, He is what? The radiance of the glory of God. That's the picture you get of Christ. Every time they saw Christ on the earth, they saw glory. They saw the God-man. Otherwise, He could not have done the miracles that He does and did. Like, turning water into wine, or raising the dead, or healing the blind, whatever. It was heaven coming down, and they saw when Christ did his miracles, it says they saw his glory. Glory as of God. They saw transcendence, that he was not just an earthly dweller. He was always a heavenly dweller who was among them in earthly form, a a, a Christ without transcendence, is no Christ at all. Christ can't be imaged, and he's never imaged throughout the entire New Testament as being anything other than glory. You don't have physical descriptions. Because they didn't see just physical descriptions. They saw divinity adding to it, to him, humanity. Our images always obscure the glory of God. Where's glory? Glory is above heaven and earth. That's where God is. Don't make any images on earth, in heaven, under the earth. Because that's our, world, that's our realm. That's our world. That's not Christ's world. I've said this many times. God has to stoop to just look at heaven. He's over the heavens and the earth. And we try to constantly bring him down and devalue who he is. His essence and his substance. Image is always obscure. Christ's glory. Number four, images of God are not needed for presenting Christ. People come to me and say, oh yeah, I understand, you know, we, we need to treat God rightly. But we also need to educate. And especially we need to educate kids. And there are a lot of people who can't speak and they don't use language and they don't have, you know, but they got eyes, they can see, They've, they can do images. So we, we have to do it this way because that's the only way to educate. So what verse do you use for that? Where does God say, you know, I realize that uh, some people just can't get it audibly, so you need to create pictures. And you don't have that verse. God doesn't say we need that verse. How do we get saved? I mean, the apostle, I I was thinking, uh, you remember when all the disciples were around Jesus and somebody brought little children to Christ? And the apostles thought, oh, well, we don't need to bother Christ with these kids. Christ says, no, 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 no. Kids are important to me. I want them to be blessed by me, too. But didn't, Christ didn't turn around and say, now, make sure when you're preaching the gospel to these kids, make sure you get some good pictures. Okay? He didn't say that. You don't have one example of the apostle Peter or John or Paul, any of them, saying, when we preach, here's a flannel graph. Here's a picture. Let me draw it in the sand for you, whatever. They don't use pictures at all. Look at 1st Peter, chapter 1, 1st Peter 1, 23 through 25. I graduated, some of you might have noticed, about 10 weeks ago to this big, this is really a a preacher's Bible because it's floppy you know you can flop out there and hit somebody with it if you needed to uh, I used to have one years ago and it's awkward for me I, I really like the smaller one but this has bigger print and it helps me okay so that's where I'm at first Peter chapter 1 23 says since you have been born again first Peter one twenty-three, you've been born again so the question is how do you get born again Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. He says, You're born again how? Through hearing the Word preached to you, not through getting pictures of Christ. You never have a verse that describes I got saved, I was born again, I received a new heart because I finally saw an image of Christ. That doesn't exist because that's forbidden. It's a contrary to the second commandment. And further, you already know the verse, don't you, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all scripture is God's, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and it's to make us sufficient. So one translation says, thoroughly furnished for every good work. Another translation says, fully complete. So when you say you need a picture, you need to image God, what you're saying is that this book is insufficient. You're making a statement, since this doesn't give you enough, I'm going to add to it an image. Because this verse doesn't give, I mean, this book doesn't give me images of Christ. So when you make one, you're doing so by, in your mind, somebody's mind, declaring the inaccuracy or its insufficiency of the scriptures, which is not true. The scriptures testify of themselves that they're sufficient for salvation. And the preaching of this word is sufficient for salvation. Never are images mentioned as being needed. Uh, it promotes a distrust in the Bible. A distrust in the Bible. And use some other verses; just get to them quickly. You remember Thomas when he comes back after the resurrection, and he says, "I really, really would like to see the the his side where he was pierced, his hands that, that had the nails." And Jesus says, I'll, "I'll let Thomas do that," and he lets Thomas do that. Then what's the very next thing he says? He said, "Thomas, I'm I'm blessing you because you believe, but you believe because you saw." He says, "But here's the plan: Blessed are those." Who believe and have never and will never see. So you don't need to see what you've seen to believe. Blessed are those who are born again without seeing any image at all. And what we've already seen, John was seeing, I'm excuse Thomas was seeing was, was glorious of Christ. And what's our goal? Is our goal to get people seeing Christ an image and following that? No. 2 Corinthians 5 says our goal is that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Our goal is that we walk by faith, not by sight. Images are not needed to get us where we're going, images are not needed to get us saved. Images have not been used. For those purposes. Number five. Conceptualizing God does not require visualization of images. Conceptualizing God does not require visualization of images. Let me just prove it to you. Christ one day was going to Jerusalem. And they provide a donkey for him. He got on the donkey. And he went into Jerusalem. They laid down palm branches. The donkey goes over the palm branches. He goes into Jerusalem. You've got an image, right? Right? You got it. Christ on a donkey, palm branches, going to Jerusalem. You have no image of Christ. You, just, you have the concept. You don't know whether he's tall or short. You don't know whether he's lanky, muscular, blonde hair, blue eyes, hazel eyes. You don't know any of that. You don't need to know any of that. Nowhere does God give us that. And we don't need to know it. It just obscures stuff. You don't need to conceptualize what Christ specifically looked at uh, to know anything. And it's expressly forbidden that we would do so. Um, Why? When you start creating an image, you're, you're bringing to what God's already given us. You're bringing new content. So, well, it doesn't tell us what color his eyes was? Doesn't ca- tell us how big he was, how short he was. Matter of fact, we do have a description in Isaiah that talks about he was so marred that people didn't even want to look at him. Well, it doesn't go beyond that to tell us what the description is. And so, if we add it, well, I think by taking Isaiah and taking Luke and taking, the, I think this. Well, you've just added new content. It's not there. And Christ clearly says don't do that. Four times, I'll just give you one. Uh, Look at Deuteronomy chapter 12. Four times God makes this statement throughout the Bible. Says it in Deuteronomy 4, says it in Deuteronomy 12, says it in Proverbs 30, then says it again in Revelation 22. But here's, here's the gist of it. Deuteronomy 12 verse 32 says, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. God says, I didn't give you that much. Just 66 books. Learn these. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. This is important. All of this revelation. Adding images is adding content to it. Uh, How about Nativity Saints? That's the first question. It usually comes up when I talk about this subject. How about nativity scenes? As a preacher, I hope you haven't already bought something. I, I have received some of the nicest nativity scenes known to man. Some made out of ivory. I think one was made out of marble. One made out of fancy carved wood. Some of you might have done it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm bringing it out now. I just nicely received a gift. Thank you very much. I appreciate your love and care for me. And then I tried to find some way to get rid of it. Okay? I re-gifted it, I think. Maybe at had a white elephant thing. you know, Whatever. Why? Because of the images. Well, you say, what? The images? There's nothing wrong with the images. You're adding content. What images are really true in the nativity scene? How much have you thought have you really given to it? Look at it. Luke chapter 2. Where do you go for Christmas? Luke 2, right? Let's go there. Luke chapter 2. And let's look at the nativity scene, verse 16. Luke 2, verse 16. Verse 15, so the angels went away. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made you, uh, made known to us. So here's the shepherds walking to the manger. They're coming upon the nativity scene. What do you expect they find? Verse 16. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What else do we have? That's pretty much it. Where are the cows? Where are the sheep? Where's the manger? We don't know. Cave? Barn? Trough makes it. We don't know any of that stuff. Where are the angels? Where are the wise men? None of that's in the text. Not in the Luke passage. Compile different things. It's not there. Duh, maybe God didn't think we needed it. We've got what we need. And we want to add content. Constantly making images. How do you image the God man in a manger? By telling his glory to God in the highest, his coming and adding humanity to himself and standing in awe of glory and praising God in the highest instead of constantly trying to bring God down to a level that somehow makes sense to us. God is incomprehensible. And we are always striving to make the incomprehensible comprehensible which is impossible. Rather, we should glory in the essence of an incomprehensible God. Well, there's more. Number six, let's get beyond trying to conceptualize. God does not require any visualization of images. That's not what we need. Number six, also mental images. Mental images are also forbidden means of loving God. In other words, when God says don't carve, don't paint, don't make... He also says nothing, anything, anywhere. Wrong thoughts about God are just as dangerous as wrong objects about God. Why? Because they're wrong. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. Famous passage that you'll remember as soon as I read it. Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. No matter how good your thoughts, your thoughts are never God's thoughts. Your thoughts about God are not God's thoughts about God. God doesn't need us having wrong thoughts any more than he needs us trying to make images like us and refer to that as him. I've heard preachers preach and say, I just want you to all close your eyes. Get I want you to imagine God as an architect. Or I want you to imagine God as a great designer. Or I want you to imagine God as a great grandfather in his rocking chair and you just climb up in his lap and he holds you. It's trying to create an image of God that's not in the scriptures. Trying to coax wrong thoughts of God instead of biblical thoughts of God. I think God is saying, no, I don't want any of that, those thoughts are not my thoughts. Be careful. When you get to the second commandment, God says several times, be careful. Be very watchful that you don't get here. God is, I mean, how do you image the incommunicable attributes of God? It's part of his essence. God is infinite. How do you image that? God is eternal. How do you image that? God is unchangeable. How do you image that? God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his goodness, in his justice, in his righteousness, in his truth. You say, you you can't image that, not truly or rightly. Let's not think that we can. Our thoughts will always be small thoughts. Compared to who God is in his greatness. So where, where does that leave us? Number seven, it leaves us trusting God's word alone. God's word's sufficient. It leaves us the trusting God's word. We don't need another word. Second uh, Peter 1, 20 and twenty one. We looked at 1 Peter a minute ago, so it's not the same passage. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scripture is sufficient because it comes directly to us from God. It's never been mixed with man's thoughts, man's images. Trust it. It alone is our authoritative work. And it's enough, we saw from 1 Peter, to be saved and to be born again. When you have a toddler who's learned to walk, one of the first Things you as a parent do is you teach them. You have got to listen and obey mommy and daddy's word. No questions asked. You don't know enough to ask questions yet. Just obey, right? And the kid gets out into the parking lot for the first time unattended or into the, on the sidewalk. And what does mommy and daddy say? I mean, you're looking around. Stop! And you, you startled everybody. And you're warning that kid to stop on a dime. Why? Because you know words save lives. The word of mom and dad, stop, can save that child's life. And the word is enough. It's enough. God's word is enough to save lives. We live by faith in the Word of God, to trust it. We don't need more that we add to the Word of God. It's sufficient. Number eight, we must always be aware of our own humble standing to learn from God. Look at Romans 11, verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. One of the passages maybe in my mind earlier as we were thinking about God. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. Think and just ponder that a minute. Can you image any of that? The depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How do you picture that? You can't, he says, he says, because it's unsearchable. It's beyond finding out. It's above the heavens and the earth. And we only have a little bit of knowledge of the heavens and the earth and maybe a little bit below the earth if we go into the ocean. But we have no knowledge, really, above where God is. It's unsearchable. His judgments are beyond finding out. So let's humble ourselves. We don't know it all. We don't come close. We know such a little bit compared to the knowledge and the wisdom and the glory of God. It would be quite arrogant to think, God, God, let me just draw a picture of you over here. I think I got this now. What arrogance. How did you search the unsearchable? How did you find out that which is not findable? When did you become God? That's the arrogance attributed to Making images. God has a deeper plan. I was thinking as we were singing one of our songs earlier. God has a a, a deeper plan of revealing himself to us. That he says, eyes not seen, ears not heard. It's not even come into our imagination yet. What God is going to reveal. We're not going to wake up through the portal of death one day. And see Jesus standing before us and say, Ah, just like I pictured it. God says, not gonna happen. Every hint that we have when we enter into God's presence is that we fall down and we say, Glory. Never imagine this much. This much greatness. This much knowledge. This much majesty. This much power, this much anything as I see now in Christ. How our images have made God smaller instead of letting the word take us to where he is that's much, much bigger. What if we had never had the nativity scenes? What if we had never had some of the images? We would be at a deeper much richer, much wiser place than some people have led us. Number nine, images discourage our responsibility to image Christ in our life. Genesis 1, 26 says, we were made in God's image. We sinned. We obscured that image with sin because God's sinless. He's holy. Romans 8, 29 says, I, through Christ, have returned Have predetermined, predestined to conform you to the image of Christ. So the image we lost, God through Christ is bringing back. I want you to image me. How does Scripture talk about us imaging God, not wrongly as in the second commandment, but rightly as in imaging Christ? There's a number of verses. Let me just give you one. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 24. Ephesians 4, verse 24 says, And let's put on the new self created after the likeness of God, or after the image of God. And notice the description of it. In true righteousness and holiness. What God wants us to image, what God wants us to put on, is righteousness and holiness. How will the world see Christ in us? Through righteousness and holiness. The world sees that we obey Christ. The Apostle Paul used this uh, language in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. How did he follow Christ? By obeying Christ's word. We live in a world that is messed up. And the reason it's messed up is because the world has no standard. The standard of the world is constantly changing. Depending on what town you're in, what culture you're in, what group of people you're around. It's their morality. That's the standard. And it keeps changing to different opinions. And nobody knows what's required anymore. Except for believers. Believers have an absolute standard. In the Word of God. And we obey this standard as the truth and the way to go. It's not based on humanity's view. It's not based on survey. It's not cultural opinion. It's absolute truth. It's an ethical, biblical standard. And as we put that standard on, as we know God's standard, it's on our hearts and we live that standard. People immediately say, oh, you're a Christ follower. Because that's what Christ did. And he did it sinlessly. He had righteousness. And holiness. That's how we image Christ. Not by trying to change physical features. Of one another. Or invent them of Christ. But putting on. His word. His righteousness. His holiness. Show me Christ. Show me the love of Christ. Show me the obedience of Christ. Show me the worship, the singing, the holiness of Christ. Talked about in my discipleship class last week or week before that Christ joins us in the sanctuary and sings praises. Show me that. Show me Christ who praises the Father. That's how we image God, not through pictures. Well, God obviously forbids images. The land is full of them. And I can't fix that. But you need to be aware. Everybody around you, if it's not you, if you are obedient to the second command, the world is not. And so you have movies that give you images of Christ. You have picture Bibles, especially for children, that are filled with images that are false images. And breaking the very commandment they want their students to follow. You've got pictures and dreams and stories. everywhere. The land is full of idols. And Christ says, not my love language. Because every representation is a misrepresentation. And I want the world to see Jesus. And the world does not see Jesus through our images. So let us lay down the images. Instead of promoting them and get back to Christ's word. Let's pray. Father, it overwhelms at times to think how easily we can get off course and, and we buy what they're, they're selling. But Father, may we see Jesus as the saints of old went to Philip and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. Let us see his glory. Let us see his majesty. Let us fall down with the seraphim and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. Let us see the beauty of your word, the perfection and sufficiency of your revelation to us. Let us return to your sovereign ways of revealing yourself to us and walk by faith and not by sight. Forgive us for the many ways we have distorted and trampled your truth. Let us again see its light, its beauty. Let it shine upon us, transform us sinners, make us saints who follow Christ, and let the world see you in all your glory. For we ask these things, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.